Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're talking to a man who's leading the barbecue scene in New Zealand. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. In this episode, we're talking to Luke Sini, the head of the New Zealand Barbecue Alliance, and he's leading the way for competition barbecue in the land of the long white cloud. So it's going to be really interesting. We're going to jump across the ditch and we're going to find out all about the barbecue scene over there. Now, before we get into that, I do have a couple of announcements that I just need to run by you first. First up, I want to thank Jagged Woodfire for coming on board as our product, as our podcast partner for this episode. They make a fantastic product. They've got their smoker ovens. They've got their gravity-fed cabinets. They've got Asado grills. They do custom kitchen installs. Pretty much anything you want to design, they can build for you. So reach out to them. Check them out. They've got some great gear. Now, if you are just at the beginning of your barbecue journey, we do have the Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue available for you. It's a free ebook over on our website, smokinghotconfessions.com, and it's everything you need to know to go from zero to hero in the world of low and slow barbecue. So head on over, smokinghotconfessions.com, check that out. It's everything you need to know to get started. And a big welcome this evening to all the people in the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community who are joining us for this live recording. If you're not there yet, make sure you come on over to Facebook and join us there. Not only do we do these beautiful podcast recordings in there, it's also one of the nicest, friendliest, and barbecue-focused barbecue groups on Facebook. So do come and join it uh, and, and join us. Everybody's welcome. We'd love to see you there. Now, if you're not joining us live, if you're watching this later on on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, a subscribe, and hit that notification bell. Over on Facebook, it's all about the likes, the comments, and the shares, particularly the comments. And if you're on Instagram, give us one of those cute little love hearts and leave a comment. Make sure you follow us as well. And if you're listening later on on a podcast app, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review because that really helps to push us up the charts and help us spread the word of barbecue love out there. Now, that is probably just about all you need to hear from me. So I think it's time to get Luke in here. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Luke, welcome to The Confessional, my friend. It's great to meet you and great to have you here. Ben, thanks for having me, mate. I've been uh, looking forward to catching up. Yeah, me too. I've, I've been watching what you've been doing over in New Zealand for some time now, so it's great that we're able to line this up for the next, uh, the next series of the podcast. But tell me, my friend, what was the last thing that you barbecued? Last thing I barbecued uh, was a couple of Marble Score Six Seven sirloins, Wagyu sirloins, the other day, um, which I happened to have in the freezer and I hadn't hadn't cooked, so I uh, cut those into a sort of two inch thick steaks and uh, and reverse seared those uh, on the barbecue. They were awesome. Yeah, right. And did you uh, manage to get through a whole two inch steak by yourself, or did you divvy it up and share it out? How'd you go through? Oh, I'm easy. I- Easy for me to get through that through one of those steaks. The whole, the whole, the whole block, maybe not, but uh, with the family's help, we managed to make it make a good dent into it. Oh, fair enough. I only ask because sometimes when I go away to barbecue competitions, I'll treat myself to a wagyu steak. And uh, the last couple of times I've done it, I found I just haven't been able to get through it. It's been so rich. I get to about halfway, and then I just stand back and go. Anybody want half a Wagyu steak? It's all yours. And then just watch them all come running. So, <laughs> Yeah, I find that with the, the really high marble score steaks, I'm, I'm the same. You know, they are they are super rich, but those ones that aren't, aren't too fatty tend to be, you know, you can get through them. 
Yeah, nice, nice. And do you have many many Wagyu farms in New Zealand or is most of that imported? Most of the stuff we're seeing over here would be Australian at this stage. Um, the most of the most common stuff I think is, is Australian brands that we're seeing in the market at the moment. Um, they are they are starting to pop up more in New Zealand. It's still still a lot of Angus over here, but we are starting to see that Wagyu coming through. Well, I've I was talking to a guy. Um, oh, I'm mental blanking now, Daniel. Mental blank. Anyway, Daniel from from Heavy Metal Cookers, and oh, uh, he was. Tate. Daniel Tate, yes, yes, and he was showing me some some photos of the uh, of the Angus that he cooks with there. That's that's from a farm in New Zealand, and the photos that he was sharing was just phenomenal. Like it, it looked like Wagyu without being Wagyu. It was so well marbled and just looked sensational. Yeah, we get a lot of decent meat over here and beef, um, and I think, I think what we're seeing a lot over here is that people can now have direct links to different farms and different producers, so that they can hand pick. Con, you know the, what's coming out rather than just going through the mainstream supplies of of beef which is which is awesome yeah, yeah it's always handy particularly if you're in the competition scene to be able to actually go through it and say yeah well, i'll have that one that one that one so that's awesome stuff and great that they've got that close personal connection with the with the farming communities oh it's awesome you know and we're seeing that we're seeing these the smaller producers pop up um they're going in and they're hand selecting the the, the cuts and the style that they know competitors want or that the, the public want outside of the normal um, the normal um, uh, cuts you get at a, at a butcher. So um, it's quite nice to be able to hand select and pick and know where it comes from and what, how it's been raised. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Ethically sourced meat is always definitely the way to go if you can, uh, if you can get your hands on it. Now tell me, those, those Wagyu steaks, is that your favourite thing to barbecue or is there something that you just really love more than anything else? I get, when I get asked that question, I probably to, you know make a few people uh, upset. But I, I, I'm more of a hot and fast cook, so I, I steak steak is definitely more more my my um my style. Um, um, I love a good tomahawk, um, either hung or or just uh, reverse seared. Um, I love a good scotch. I love a good um, sirloin. Um, I, I'm really into dry aging proteins um in in chunks so I'm, i've got a dry age at home that i like to kind of dry age and play around with different ages of steaks and then and then and then um, and then cook them so uh, steak is definitely my my kind of go-to uh, more so than the long low and slow cooks i've got two young kids which also makes it um hard to uh to spend too much time by the barbecue these days but um but definitely um yeah uh, steak is my my go-to yeah, and that's interesting that you're dry aging them yourself as well. It's quite a it's quite an on trend thing to do at the moment. Tell us a little bit more about how you like to go about doing that. Yeah, so I I um I, I don't know how I kind of I, well I've been to barbecue, so this was just kind of the next step for me to have a play around with things. And I, I try and try and use um, whole cuts or large, larger uh, proteins, so you're not losing too much of your weight to um to evaporation or to to, to the air. So um and 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 stuff with good fat content. So um, you know, things like uh, T-bones, um, your tomahawk-style cuts, your uh, whole rump, you know, and then you can take the rump cap off and, and cut it into, into to rump steaks and then um, even down to doing some scotch. Uh, but more of those sort of bigger T-bone um, cuts. And then I started, so my, my go-to butcher over here, uh, a guy called Ruben, he had a dry-aging cabinet in the in the, in the um in the butchers, so I started seeing that and buying some stuff off him, and that got me thinking. So I thought, well, I'm going to set up my own, do my own setup, and and do that. So uh, it's been a bit of a journey, and you know, 
going from 30 days to 140 days to a bit more to see where that sweet spot is for me. And um, it's just a bit of a, a fun project, you know, um, watching it develop and take flavor over that, that period. So, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, so how does that flavor develop? How does that work? Uh, I'm not, oh, good question. I'm, I'm probably not, not, not into the science part of it, but what I, from what I understand, it's the, it's, it's the, um, the enzymes breaking down the, the, the muscle components, um, and not in a way that it produces negative flavor, but it, it almost breaks it down to become a more, um, uh, the change, the texture and the flavor profile. So the fat, the fat for me, when you, when you have an aged steak and you cook it, the fat renders out and becomes a lot more marshmallowy than you would if you're cooking a normal steak that's quite fresh. Um, it takes on a nutty um, kind of flavor profile. And, um, and if you do it properly without losing too much of the actual weight of the steak, because then if you go too far down the track, then you start going down that kind of cured meat texture where it becomes more like a, a leathery sort of texture to it. So you don't really want that. So um, the science behind it, I don't know. All I know is that, that there's a bit of a sweet spot for me and that's kind of between 35 and 60 days and, and the flavor is awesome and the texture is awesome of the steak once you cook it. Nice, man. I'm, I'm getting jealous. I'm going to have to look, start looking at that myself, I think. And so what is your, your favorite barbecue? Are, are you a kettle guy, a drum guy, a pellet guy, an offset guy? What do you like to cook on? Most of the guys over here who know me will know that I've, I've got a few barbecues hidden away um, that, that, I, that my wife knows about, it, knows about some of them, not all of them. Um, but uh, basically, uh, I do like a ceramic cooker. Um, like a Primo. I've got a Primo. Um, I like the Primo because it's, it's got a, a oval shape to it and it's so I can have more cooking area, but I do like, I've recently picked up a, a local, a local manufacturer over here. Um, everyone knows sort of Jared McDonald with his Octopit Multi-Qs. So I've got one of those at home now, which I'm playing around with. And I like the versatility of that because it has the height to be able to hang protein and also has the versatility of moving up and down the, the heat and deflectors and you can, you know, the airflow, it's quite a cool unit to, to play around with um, through to I've got a hasty bake for, for steak and uh, <laughs> I'm a Weber kettle and a Weber GA and um, a little um, Hibashi grill. And it depends on my excuse is that, you know, every, every different dish needs a different kind of cooking apparatus to, um, to cook it. So there's excuse out of, you know, lots of different excuses for, for different barbecues, but um, I like cooking on everything to be honest. Fair enough. Yeah, it's always good to have a nice uh, wide variety there as well. Now, did you get caught up in the whole Weber collection craze and you got, you know, 17 different colors and paying no. thousands of dollars for rent for rare ones or are you just a... No, I've seen a- the guys who really get into those. Um, I've got a Weber. I've got a Weber, Weber GA. I grew up on Weber uh, with Webers around with my dad, but um, but no, I never got into the, the, the collecting of the colors and other bits and pieces, but um, definitely a collector of other barbecue related uh, paraphernalia, um, namely barbecues as a whole. I like all different types of barbecues. Fair enough, man. I can certainly un- understand that. I've got just about one of everything myself as well. Now, tell me, you just mentioned your, your your father and Weber's in there. How did you get into barbecue? Was it was it something that you grew up with, or did you get into it later in life? No, I grew up with it. I was. Um, I mean, I chatted chatted with you off the air a little while ago, and I, I'm actually and most people sort of I don't know if most people know it, but I'm actually Australian. Um, originally, I say I was, I was born and raised in the northwest of Western Australia. Um, born in Dampier, grew up in Caratha, and then moved down to Perth when I was in my teenage uh, older years. But 
um, my dad was always cooking. Um, we, we grew up in a small community. It was a, it was a community. Everyone in the street knew each other and everyone um, got together and, you know, uh, on a Friday night and had drinks and food. And I can always remember my dad cooking. And, you know, he cooked every Christmas as well. Um, but he cooked on a Weber uh, using heat beads. Uh, go to, he used, or he did a, would do lambs or, or pigs on a spit in the backyard, you know, for the, for the, for the neighborhood. It was, it was awesome. So always around that kind of, um, I still have vivid remember, uh, memories of being a, a six year old and walking close to the, the, um, the pig on the spit and burning my feet on charcoal. You know, I think that was my initiation into, into barbecue, in the barbecue world. But so yeah, my dad was always into, into cooking and, and barbecue. So that's where it kind of started and um, it kind of evolved from there. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that about, uh, you know, one of your, youngest memories being burning your feet on the uh on the, on the coals because i my first trip to hospital was barbecue related and uh i, I was even younger because i don't actually remember it's maybe two or three years old but the the story my dad tells is that they had cooked a barbecue back in the days where you'd just put two bricks on the ground and a metal plate over the top and run around the yard and throw the sticks under and uh and then i went off to have my after lunch nap and i woke up from the nap and looked out the window and went oh snow and of course, it was all the white ash from the like leftover from the barbecue. Whoa. And I went out, just I bolted out the door and then ran out and was like kicking around in the ash and burnt all the bottoms off my feet and had to go to hospital. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, something we got in common by the sound of that. I think fires. I've always been been um, a bit of a fire bug. You know, I um, I grew up in a in a in an area surrounded by bush, and I think I got busted once playing with matches and lighting the bush on fire and uh, <laughs> calling out all the local fire apparatuses. Um, in one one go, and I um I hid in the cupboard for about three hours, thinking they were going to come and take me away when I was a kid because I'd started this bushfire. So um, yeah, I think it's it's been in my blood for um for a number of years. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and so what is it that you love about barbecue that just sort of keeps you keeps you going with it? Oh, it's not only the food. I mean, the food side of it. I love love the flavor of barbecue, but I think it's the community. Um, that's what's kept me going. Or that's what's really driven me over the last few years to be involved in the scene is the fact that, um, that it is a community. Food brings people together, not just family, but friends as well. Um, and barbecue isn't something that you just do in a kitchen while the people are entertaining in the lounge room. It's something that you can all stand around, have a drink and conversation and enjoy together. So I think it's that community feel, that, um, that socialising that goes with barbecue and that style of food that's really kept me in that, that space because, um, you know, outside of just catching up and cooking it's the conversations outside of that during the week when people are talking over social media or or that sort of thing which which you know just get, get, it's an evolving and ongoing conversation and, and and community which is which is which is really cool yeah you're right it is really interesting how how barbecue can tie together so many different forms of community you just mentioned before that your father used to cook for the street and then you mentioned online communities on social media and all that sort of stuff and since all this uh all this madness has been happening in the last 18 months we've seen a lot of um you know virtual competitions pop up and all that sort of stuff as well so even when we can't do it in person we're still coming up with ways of using meat and fire to bring the community together um, online, which is fascinating as well. Have you seen much, much sort of online barbecue community things happening in New Zealand in the last eighteen months or so? Yeah, I mean, as, as you mentioned, we've done. There's been a heap of um, of online competitions when people couldn't get together and, and do it. Um, there's been, you know, we we, we uh, the barbecue alliance Facebook page over here. When you you, you can see when when people are um, uh, can't get out and do what they want to do, uh, it spikes because people are 
conversing and, and, and swapping stories or recipes or um, uh, showing people what they're up to or where can you go and get this and how can you do this and, um, and everyone leaning on each other, which is, which is awesome because I think um, outside of just the cooking element, um, that community part is key because um, in times when people can't um, get together, um, that, that, that conversation, at least having a platform for a conversation about what people are up to is, is awesome. Um, so we've seen heaps going on. We, we've been fortunate over here that um, in between sort of lockdown periods, we've, we've been, been able to have competitions um, and we've been able to get together as a community and, 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 and socialise and see new teams come into the community as well. Um, and, and also it's not just about competitions, it's about those guys, who are weekend warriors who are just into, into cooking good food for their family and friends. So we've definitely seen that, that grow as well. Um, and I think if you look at the number of local barbecue restaurants and brands um, that are popping up, um, it's a testament to, to how quickly or how big barbecue is actually becoming, not just in New Zealand, but, but around the world, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And we're, we're going to talk a bit more about the competition scene in, in New Zealand in, in just a little bit. But uh, in the meantime, is there a particular protein or particular cut that's difficult for you to cook? Like what, what comes difficult for you and what comes easy for you? Oh, brisket. I hate brisket. Really? I mean, I love to eat brisket if it's cooked oh, properly. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, we can still be friends. But, uh, <laughs> but, I, yeah, but I, it's one protein, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I hate trying to cook brisket. I, I, that's why, I mean, I, I, um, I, I never get it how I want to get it. Um, and I think it's because I, I, I probably am more impatient than I should be to be a low and slow cook. So I want it to be ready sooner than it probably will be ready. So I, um, I never execute it the way I want to execute it. So brisket is probably my most challenging one, and I'll be completely honest about that. Um, the other proteins, you know, um, I enjoy. Um, chicken, I mean, I know, know most, most competitors hate chicken, but, uh, but I think chicken's awesome. I think it's a, it's a great protein to cook, especially on a barbecue and a rotisserie or over charcoal. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, and, and, and ribs, you know, um, ribs, ribs are awesome. Um, there's so many different ways and different styles now um, with, with, with ribs and flavours. It's, it's, it's a cool protein to cook. Um, and then there's things like, I mean, I enjoy seafood. I mean, I think seafood is something that, that, that people, people do well. We, we're, we're fortunate over here in New Zealand to have a decent amount of good seafood available. So um, we're definitely seeing more and more of that. And I, I really enjoy cooking seafood on the barbecue. The flavour of that's awesome. What's your favourite to do in that regard? Seafood. I mean, I'm a. Oh, I grew up on. We grew up on on prawns. Loved prawns in in, in when I was in Australia. You, you're so fortunate to get so many fresh, big fresh prawns over here. We don't really sort of get that. So for me, it's it's probably squid. I really enjoy squid, grilled squid, stuffed squid, or grilled squid on the on the barbecue is is, is a is a is a go to for me, a favourite for me. Even even small baby octopus is another one. That's that's awesome. Oh yeah, so good. Baby octopus is so good. Have you got any yeah. uh, tips or tricks for for not overdoing it? Because it's really easy to overdo. Yeah, simple flavors. That's the key thing for me. It's two or three ingredients. It's not going overboard. You know, it's fresh olive oil, some some sort of herb like um, parsley or, or or basil, or um, or those people who don't like cilantro. Um, you know, and then and then some salt and pepper um, is is all you need, and maybe a squeeze of like lemon or lime, something like that. That's all you need. I mean, the flavour comes from the, the charcoal and the smoke and stuff like that. With that sort of protein, you don't really need to um, to overdo it with flavour. If you're looking for your next barbecue smoker or grill, Jagged Wood Fired has got what you need. 
owners Julianne and Glenn are multiple award-winning barbecue competitors who have even travelled to the US to compete at the World Barbecue Championships in Houston, Texas. Based out of Perth and shipping nationwide, Jagged is one of the largest pit builders in the country and has an ever-growing lineup of meat cooking machinery. Not only do they have their now famous smoker ovens, their incredibly efficient gravity-fed cabinets are proving extremely popular in commercial settings, and they also make some of the most stylish asado grills you're ever going to see. Jagged is also well known for amazingly detailed custom work ranging from backyard designs all the way to installations in commercial kitchens. Proudly Australian designed, owned and manufactured, you can find out more at jaggedwoodfired.com.au spelled J-A-G-R-D. Once again, head to jaggedwoodfired.com.au spelled J-A-G-R-D to learn more. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Alrighty, Luke, now let's get into the NZBA because you are the head of the of the New Zealand Barbecue Alliance, so I figure you're the best person in the know to fill us in on the barbecue scene in New Zealand. So, mate, tell us about the NZBA. When did it form? So, NZBA formed in 2019, um, officially. Um, it had been around, uh, we were... We were part of the Australasian Barbecue Alliance um, from 2017. 2017 was when we kicked off with meat. The first sort of meat stock was over here. It was the first real sort of sanctioned barbecue competition um, over here. And we worked with the, the Australasian Barbecue Alliance um, with both Jay and Adam uh, initially um, for those first couple of years. And we, we brought them over here to help grow the scene um, and drive it. And then in 2019, we sat down and said, well, let, let's see how we can have a an offshoot and have the NZBA set up as an independent organisation over here so that we could help and drive the growth of New Zealand barbecue um, with someone local rather than necessarily having to um, have to always rely on Aust- the Australasian guys or the Australian guys to come over and help us do that. So in 2019, we kind of formalised the, the New Zealand Barbecue Alliance and, um, and, and we've sort of um, hit the ground since then. Yeah, right. Sounds good. It's always a good idea to have some... Uh to have locals controlling the local scene. Now, how how's the growth of the scene been? Like the competition uptake, the or sorry, the uptake of competition barbecue? It's been amazing. Uh, it's been awesome to see. You know, I mean, when we started in 2017, we relied um, on on um, on one one sort of promoter to promote eight competitions throughout the year to get it going. Because meat stock sort of came along in the, in the start of the year and then all these guys who competed at Meatstock and had such a good time were sitting around going, well, what's next? What do we, what do, what do, we do? Um, you know, and, and I was fortunate in the role I had um, back then was to, to work with a, with a brand like Jack, I'll have to have a plug, but Jack Daniels to help us to, um, to build a, a competition scene, which were eight competitions over, over sort of a year period to get that scene going. And then that grew into, into 2018. And then 2019, when it sort of really kicked off, all of a sudden we had these guys who were putting their hands up to be promoters to, 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 to actually put on comps. And that's the whole goal we had as an organisation was to not rely on one or two people to really drive the scene was how do we get these promoters to, 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 to start putting on events to drive the scene forward. Um, and, and, and that's what we've seen. So in 2019, you know, we were stoked if we had a competition, we had 20 to 25 teams. Um, it, was, it was amazing. You know, now I think this year we're averaging over 30 teams at a comp. 
um, to, 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 to the biggest comps um, being Smoke on the Coast with 40 teams and Kumu with 40 teams. And then normally we'd have a meat stock type event, with, which would be the biggest at 45 or 50 teams. Um, and then something like Hamilton and um, New Plymouth and um, Tai Tai Grow Low and Slow Up North. And then there's a competition in Wellington. So we kind of went from having eight comps at the start to now we're getting sort of 13 comps a year across the calendar year. Uh, and they're all decent sized comps. And the, the, the beautiful thing about it these days is that it's not the same teams turning up to the comps either. We're getting sort of three or four to five or six new teams at each of these comps who are, who are putting their wow. hand up and, and jumping in. So, um, you know, we went from having 35 teams in the first couple of years to sort of 90 teams who compete over the year in New Zealand, which is, which is huge for us, you know, and we're, we're stoked with that. So um, the scene has definitely grown. We're still seeing new people coming into it. Obviously, we're trying to uh, evolve to keep it in- interesting for, for teams and, and adapt. Um, but the scene is definitely strong and growing, which is, which is amazing. And um, we can only do it because we have such amazing promoters over here who, who put the time and effort into actually putting on these comps and events. Yeah, that's incredible. What do you think it is that, um, that, that keeps reliably drawing new, new teams to join the competition scene? One of the key things we've always tried to do with the NZBO over here is cut out the bull****, um, for less of a better term, is that um, we've tried to generate a positive vibe, an open com- communication with teams um, so that we, we don't have the, any negativity or, or grief. So we each comp you come to, teams are happy to talk to each other. The, the older teams, it's not a closed wall environment where they're quite happy to take a team under their wing next to them and, and show them the ropes and and give them advice and help them. Um, as soon as you start putting up those barriers, then you, you, you get that, you, you know, it becomes too competitive. So if you walk away with a trophy, it's a bonus. If you walk away with new friends and, and you've had a really good weekend with, with, with a whole group of mates, then, then that's, a, that's, that's the main thing for us, you know. Um, and that's what we try and drive through the social media side of things, but also at the live events when we have these competitions is that um, we're open, we try and be open and honest with the teams. We try and get, take feedback on board um, and try and create that positive, environment so i think that's what's been working for us really well over the last couple of years is that um um, nipping things in the bud quite early if we possibly can when when things start getting a little bit um negative you might say yeah they uh they tend to get a bit hot under the collar if you'll uh excuse the pun um so uh we've talked about um about attracting those those new people to the scene and that's really good that you're able to, to to keep pulling new people in like that What's the uh, what's the response from the general public been? So the the people uh, coming as spectators to the festivals. Are you like, are you seeing like big numbers of the public coming through the gates? Yeah, we're definitely starting to see. So what we've we've tried to do is to make sure that most of the competitions that are on the national series are open to the public. Um, the first couple of years they were very much sort of closed. Try and get the competitors in. Try and grow the scene and get those sort of things happening before we went too much into the open public. Um, now we are starting to see, you know, people show an interest. Um, they, they come along and they talk to the teams. Um, they look at what's going on. We have suppliers, not only sort of equipment suppliers and barbecue suppliers, but sauces and rubs and those sort of things. So it does become these mini festivals and we do get a really good turnout. Um, even to the judges where we're getting consistent turnout for judges who want to come along and travel around to the different competitions because they enjoy being involved. So, um, that's a really important part to us is that, that the events aren't just closed to competitors. Um, it's about opening up and showing people what's going on um, and, and how the barbecue, what, what the barbecue scene is all about. 
really, you know, and that's through music and, and, and the, you know, music and drinking and talking and um, those sort of open events. So um, we're getting more and more people who are discovering it and coming along, which is cool. Yeah, that's fantastic that you're able to pull those big crowds because without, without a big crowd, a lot of it, it's really hard for festivals to go ahead because the sponsors want the crowds. And yes. so, uh, yeah, and then the, the, the competitors sometimes get upset. Oh, well, there's no competitions. Well, because we can't get a crowd. Oh, well, but the competition should be about the competitors. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you, you've got to look from the, the Joe Public's point of view is that when Joe Public comes to see an event and it's just about competition, they get to see people cooking, they get to smell the cooking, but they don't really get to try all the different proteins. So for them, it's unless you have the peripheral stuff going on, there's not a lot really for them to to to, to check out. So, um, and that's what we're you know being involved. A lot of the events are starting to be involved with other bigger events that are on. You know, so that um, they already have that crowd coming, and they're not just the focus. There's other other activities going on around them, which is which is kind of cool. Um, so- Something you just said there is a is kind of an interesting point that the crowds don't get to taste um, the competitors' food. Is that a like a local council regulation? So over here, for example, um, the local council won't let us have uh, won't let us feed the public unless all of the teams at the competition have food licenses. At least here on the Gold Coast, is that the same for you, or do you have different rules in different areas? No, same here. It's the same here. It comes down to a food food hygiene or food food handling. Um, licensing requirement that if you don't, if you're not a licensed caterer, you you can't really give food out to to the public, even if it's just a taster or a sampler, really. So um, within within reason. So uh, there is that. Um, also, I mean, it's it's one of those sort of things where do you really want to put pressure on teams to have to hand food out to everyone that comes through when they're wearing the cost of having to supply all that food, and um, we wouldn't get all the leftover brisket pie recipes coming out on the page if we if the if the guys had to give all their meat out at the comp. So it's um it's it's one of those sort of you know balancing act where you know um you've got to kind of respect the fact that teams are there to compete and do their thing. Um, they don't really want to be sidetracked too much either by having to um to feed the public. Yeah, fair enough. That's a fair point too. I was at a competition once where the uh, promoter put on a people's choice category, so a whole bunch of the competitors did whole hogs, and so the public was able to just wander around from tent to tent and just sample all these different pieces of whole hog. And so then nobody was buying from the vendors. Yeah. And so vendors were losing five, ten, twelve thousand dollars a day at this festival. And that was the last time that happened. So uh, Yeah, and that's the other thing. And then that's what you you know, you need to attract those sort of guys because that also helps pay for the pay pay for your events and festivals. So um it is it's a it's a fine line, but um we try and balance it out as much as we can. We do a lot of demonstrations and we have supplies there doing demonstrations. So there is enough for, to keep the public interested in and wanting to check out what's going on. So um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. Now, something that you said, I'm just going to loop back to something you said, mate, just a couple of minutes ago. Um, you said about uh, the competitors don't put walls up. Is that a policy? Is that like a competition policy under the NZBA? Is there like a no walls policy or is that just the prevailing culture? It's not written into the, into the rules. It's more about a culture type thing. Um, our, our, our key focus is that people are there to see if they if it's open to the public, people are there to see what's going on. Um, and, and if you put up walls and become secretive and it's all about the competition, then it becomes a little bit of a negative environment. Um, so it's about people being able to walk around and talk to each other and, and, you know, teams don't have to give their secrets away. Um, but it's more about the, the looking like it's a community, close knit community, and, and being positive and, um, and and communicating with each other. So, not a not a hard and firm policy, but it tends to be a bit more of the culture 
over here. I mean, up until sort of uh, a little while ago, we used to do a pitluck dinner every Saturday night with the teams. Um, and that was when it was a little bit smaller and a little bit easier to do it. Um, and every Saturday night, they'd get on the Saturday night, they'd get together and someone would put a dish in and we'd have a, a trophy at prize giving for the best sort of um, oh, wow. pitluck dinner. So it's something we're keen to bring back. Um, it's kind of fallen off the radar a little bit, but that definitely helped with the whole, um, you know, bringing people together and, and talking um, at, at the comps, um, which was cool. That's a beautiful idea. Yeah, we've we've done something similar at, at the odd competition here and there over here, but it's not something that that happens often. Um, what are some of the differences that, that you find um, between, like, in the New Zealand barbecue competition scene? So, for example, over here in Australia, to try and put our Australian spin on the on the American style barbecue scene, we do things like um, particular categories. So we have like lamb or Brahmin hump or things like that. Are there any distinctly New Zealand sort of twists that have been put on the competition barbecue scene? There's been a few promoters' choices over the years, um, some quirky ones that have been thrown out there. We had whole duck one year, which which threw a whole lot of people off. That was the, that was the first <laughs> time I seen duck come through, and that was uh, the turn-ins on that. That one was was quite interesting. Um, lamb, I mean, you see a lot of lamb's probably one of our, our go-to categories, similar to you guys. Um, there hasn't been anything that's been really, really kiwi. Oh, kingfish, we did one... Um, there was kingfish that was up up north recently, um, which is amazing. Smoked smoked kingfish, which which guys did. Um, I'm trying to think back through the comps. What what might be New Zealand? Uh, nothing that's really really kiwi. We haven't gone down the route of of any um, wild game type type products yet, which is probably something that we we could look at. Um, it's probably been mostly just the, the standard kind of um, core core. Um, categories really um seafood i don't i, I did seafood I, when i had put on a comp we did seafood i don't know if i'd do that again that was a um that was an interesting one the number of questions i had around what could or couldn't go in what constitutes seafood is freshwater fish seafood was one of the questions and i think that, um so i mean you know it's um yeah it was a hard one but no we we, we, we promoter's choice tends to be pretty pretty um stock standard to be honest Nice, nice. I'd I'd imagine that there would be opportunities for some uh, for some deer, for some venison, something like that. I understand there's quite a lot of deer hunting goes on in New Zealand. Yeah, venison would be good. Venison. Um, there's definitely there's there's a number of um, uh, number of venison farms as well. So venison is definitely something to to get. I mean, venison goat would be an interesting one to to throw in the mix. Um, tar. If you could get tar, tar. It's like a mountain goat would be would be an interesting oh. one to to throw in there. But um, all quite lean, lean meat. So it'd be interesting to see how they'd, they'd handle it or how they would, how they'd cook it. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Now tomorrow I'm actually going to be chatting with a guy from Arkansas who runs the national squirrel, uh, sorry, runs the world champion squirrel cook-off. Now I, I, I know that possums are, are a, a pest over in New Zealand. So would we see a, a possible equivalent? Are we going to see like a New Zealand possum cook-off category similar to the squirrel I'm- championships? I bet once I get off this phone, there's probably going to be some messages asking if someone can do a do a possum <laughs> category now. So I'll let you know after this um, after this podcast if there's any uh, any any uh, any requests coming through. Looking forward to it, man. I'm really wanting to uh, to to hear the sound of that. Now, um, had, are there any differences between like North and South Island in regards to barbecue? Yeah, I mean we we. Barbecue barbecue's growing in the South Island and there's some amazing barbecue restaurants down there and some guys who are really pushing barbecue down there. Um, from the competition side, it's 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 growing. 
Um, it, it's growing slightly a bit slower than 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 the, than the North Island as far as team numbers. Um, geographically, it makes it difficult because when the South Island guys really want to compete, to to haul their gear up to the to the North Island isn't it easy, you know. And and then the same goes for when you're trying to grow the scene down there and you want you kind of need to get the North Island guys down there. So um, there, there's one guy who's 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 waving the flag, a guy called Glenn Manning down there, who's really pushing hard to have a competition. He runs the the, the only sanctioned competition down there. Um, as part of the Christchurch um, agricultural show in, in November. Uh, and we have a number of teams, you know, and he's gone to the effort to get a sponsor on board to be able to put a container so that the guys can fill the container in, in up, up here and then ship the gear down there for that competition. So so there are guys who are pushing it. It's just it's just how do we get more, t- it's trying to encourage teams to, to jump in so and promoters to put on competitions as well, you know, um, without relying too much on having to get the North Island guys down there to compete. So how can we try and grow the scene locally? So. That's probably one of the biggest challenges for the NZBO over the coming coming sort of twelve to eighteen months is 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 how do we grow the scene down there so that they um, they have a flourishing kind of um, competition scene. They can at least have two or three comps down there for the national series rather than just having to rely on one and then coming up north to to do the rest. Yeah, right. And how far apart are the North and South Islands? Is it is it comparable to like Tasmania and the mainland over here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been to Tasmania, so I mean, it would be from Auckland to Christchurch is about just it's an hour and a bit, hour and twenty minutes, I think it is on a, for a flight. Um, yep. So, so um, about about twelve hundred k's. Flying's easy. It? Driving, driving, yeah, driving's the because you got to. That's the interesting part because you drive down to Wellington and then you catch a ferry across and then drive further. So it's, it takes a while, um, and the terrain's not that amazing to toll pit. Um, so yeah, I mean, probably similar. Um, but, um, but I think, it, and it's population as well. There's not as many people that live in the South Island versus the North Island when it um, comes to numbers, but, um, but definitely one to watch out. I think we will, um, and, and, and the South Island guys do well when they do compete. So we, they, they can cook. Um, we just, just got to try and grow the number of teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, just speaking of of different competitions and different variations and things, I saw something on your socials. the The Thai Tokarau, my my apologies for my awful pronunciation. Thai Thai Tokarau Low and Slow Barbecue Comp. They had a hungi there. Was that a category, or was that just like a a feed that they put on for the competitors? No, that was what the organisers put on um, in Northland. So Northland's kind of like um, Queensland. It's the winterless north. Um, it's uh, it's an amazing place, the Bay of Islands. It's 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 awesome. So um, this was held at, a, at the Pie Here Top Ten Campground. So everyone had their own sort of camping space and and set up and right on the water, and um, and just a bit of a um, uh, it was a local. It was put on by by the event organisers for dinner for all the competitors on the on the on the night on the first night, um, and with a with a with a with a local welcome and. Um, it was it was awesome. It was such a cool cool thing to to to, um, to see and do, and and the the boys did a great job of cooking. The food was amazing, you know. Um, so it was cool. It was a it was a, it was a really nice um, twist to have at an event that we you know you don't normally get. Do you reckon that we might ever see like a promoter's choice category of a hungi at a barbecue competition? Yeah, I probably I suppose we just probably got to try and find somewhere where they let you dig enough holes to um to, to make it make it work. <laughs> uh, if you're going to do a traditional one, but um, I definitely think I definitely think it's uh it's 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 an opportunity um there as a as a probably um as a as a promoter's choice type type category. Um, but definitely if you haven't tried it, it's definitely something to um to check out. 
Well, my wife's uh, she, she's commenting here on on, on Facebook. She says, uh, "If you're putting on a hungry competition, we're going." So uh, there we go. And we'll then make sure we make sure we extend the invite. Someone else is is chiming in here. Yes, please. Yes, please. So I think there's a bit of support there for a hungry category. And you couldn't pick a better place to do it either. Up north is just if, if that's um, you know I mean there's you know all the comps are all our comps are amazing now and they're in awesome locations. Um, uh, but those ones that are on the water uh, up north are just uh, are amazing. They're they're really cool. Yeah, very beautiful sounding place. So there's been a lot of um, uh, businesses have sprung up as a result of the competition scene. You've got uh, yes. Barbecue Boy, the, the the barbecue shop, Rum and Q, Rubs and Sauces. We already talked about Jared McDonald and, and Octopit. Um, what are some of the opportunities for growth that the NZBA sees in the barbecue scene in New Zealand? So, the, yeah, as you say, these, these things sort of started out from barbecue competition teams um, creating sauces and rubs or businesses um, and continuing to compete. Um, and, and they got some really good success by – um, having this this competition platform and and guys using their products and getting into it, um, the biggest opportunity with these guys now is that um, they're breaking out of that competition scene, you know, and they're breaking into more mainstream um, mainstream um, commercial um, opportunities. So you know we're seeing things like the rum and Q and the four sourcemen, not just being in butchers but in mainstream supermarkets um, and grocery stores, um, to looking at opportunities to distribute into Australia and the UK and other other markets, you know, and um, people like Barbecue Boy, who is a competitor, but like Ken is is just into the scene completely, and you know he's setting up he set up a, a a store, and he's bringing in finding rubs and sauces and and being a, a an advocate for those those sort of things. And you've got um, Adam from Low and Slow Barbecue Supplies who's doing the same, and they're all trying to play in the same space, but they all complement each other with with what they're offering and what they're doing. So there's huge opportunity for them because. As I said earlier on, the, the competition scene, when you look at it, even if it's 90 teams, we're still talking only like three or 400 people, you know, that are, that are competitors in that scene. Um, but we have a community of 45,000 people who are, who are active barbecuers. You know, we have a really strong interaction rate through our Facebook page. So it's, it's those weekend guys that these guys are now, you know, communicating with and, and, and where you're seeing a lot of their product being used. So, um, those guys have done amazing and, 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 you know, we'll, we'll support them as much as we possibly can to, to, to get their brands out there because, um, you know, um, it's nice, you know, Kiwis are always about that kind of um, backing the, backing the, the underdogs and backing those, the small guy to, to get out there and, um, and be successful, you know, which is, which is cool. You're listening to the internationally awarded smoking hot confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. Okay, Luke, we're now in segment three of the show. And this is the part where our guest gets to impart some wisdom to the audience. You get to share some lessons, share some things you've learned, and, uh, and, and uh, teach us, uh, share some wisdom with us. So what, was, what is it that you'd like to share with us today? My wisdom, I don't have a lot of wisdom, I don't think, to be honest. My, my wisdom is to say it's um, don't be afraid of trying new things. That's my, my key thing is the thing with barbecue is that there's no hard and fast rules of what's right and what's wrong. Um, you adapt recipes, you adapt cooking styles, and you adapt what you're doing to suit what you like and what your family likes. Um, competition aside, competitions are all technical. It's all about the technical side of things and balancing flavors and that sort of thing. But but would you want to sit down and eat eat a, a full three course meal of of competition barbecue? Probably not. So 
for me, it's about making sure that you um, you enjoy it. It's not a not a chore. It shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't be something that that's that's that you see as being hard. It should be enjoyable and um, and everyone stuffs up um, with barbecue. I mean, I've cooked stuff that's like shoe leather before. I've burnt things or things haven't turned out quite right, but but you tweak it and you change it to the to the point you like it. I mean, um, I'm no expert. I I'm I'm more on the running of the events and being involved in that side of things more so than being any barbecue expert. Um, I'm probably more expert at mixing a drink to go with the, the protein and the food. Um, and I've got plenty of recipes around that that, um, that work with barbecue. But um, my wisdom is just to enjoy yourself with barbecue. That's all it is. It's, it's to, um, you know, and, and simple flavors. Don't go, too, don't go too overboard. Let the protein speak for itself. There's, um, there's some amazing meat out there that, that the flavor itself is just, is just awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, where would you recommend people start? So let's say the the average mum or dad at home, they've got the old gas burner sitting out in the backyard. They're tired of uh, burning sausages and steaks. How would you recommend they get started? Um, I, I'd say um, work within your budget. Um, don't go and buy, if, you, if you're moving from gas to charcoal, you don't have to go and buy the biggest, flashiest setup um that's available um because you may find that actually you prefer the gas barbecue and burning your sausages on that than than burning your sausages on a on a charcoal barbecue but work within your means and work within your budget um you know and then if you get the flavor right and you enjoy the style of cooking then you can start asking questions and looking at what you like as far as what the next step is on that you know most people start with um you know we see we saw huge growth in the kind of the smaller little hibashi style grills like your, your GA, your Weber GAs and those sort of things where people were branching into those through to your, your barrel smokers um, and your, your normal kettle smokers is where, where a lot of people start. And then, you know, you've also got to look at your situation. For me, you know, I, I've got young kids, so as a stick burner, the right move for me um, where you've got to feed sticks all day and, and, and monitor your temps and stuff like that or something a little bit little less maintenance, something that you, that you want. So... Um, that'd be my that's my advice when you when you start again. It was to to work within your means, um, uh, get a get an idea of what you like cooking and the flavor profiles, and then you can sort of upgrade as you as you want to go before you go and mortgage your house and go and buy a a, um, a pit on wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, I, I remember my first barbecue competition I was competing in. I had three rescued Weber kettles and a little first generation Pro Q Frontier, the the, the little bullet smoker. And uh, the the total value of all of my pits would have been maybe five hundred bucks for all four of them. And uh, di- directly across the uh, the aisle from me was Barbecue Mafia with like this. I'm I'm just guessing forty five thousand dollar giant offset smoker trailer. And I just went, oh my god, that's amazing. And it it was very humbling with my uh, with my little collection of uh, of of trash kettles that I had. <laughs> Oh, but you see, that's the cool thing about the comps. Like when we started in 2017, everything was made up of odds and sods. Like there was just so many, you know, you didn't see these big trailer pits or these big, big things, you know, in the last four years it's changed, but, but, um, you know, and you, you saw these, these new teams coming in and, and they used to do quite, they do, and they still do quite well because they come in and they cook on what they know and they haven't played around with flavors and they just focus on how to cook and they don't get caught up in everything else. And, um, I think it's really important that you don't have to have the flashiest gear to know how to cook. You know, it's um, you learn the, what you have is everyone knows how to adapt to cook on what they've got. So if you're used to cooking on a kettle, then you'll do well on a kettle. If you um, if you're good at an offset, then you're going to offset. So um, yeah, but it's the, definitely the um, 
the range of of barbecues available now versus you know even four years ago is just it's, it's insane. Um, you know the, the level of stuff you can go and buy from a shop is just incredible. Yeah, much bigger. Yeah, and then you got um, people that are really successful like Harry Sue who will turn up and cook an entire KCBS competition on one Weber Smoky Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I think that's where, um, you know, it's less about the equipment and it's understanding flavour profile and understanding the texture and, you know, the technical side of things. And that's, that's where those guys are really good. You know, they don't, they don't have to be too showy and, and flashy for that, that side of things. So, um, yeah, I, you can cook on anything. You know, you've, we've seen guys wanting, wanting to cook a steak, so they've got some bricks out and they've got, a, a, you know, a piece of metal and put it across the bricks and, and you've got a fire going. And that's the cool thing about cooking on fire is it can be anything. You know, you don't have to have a big pit to, to cook a steak. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Now, just looping back to something that, that you said before, you said that cooking barbecue's got to be enjoyable. What are some things that you do to make barbecue more enjoyable for you? Is it music? Is it, uh, is it ambiance? How, how, how do you set the scene when you're cooking barbecue? I th- think these days, um, you know, um, it's involving the family. I've got young kids and it's nice to get them involved and see them do it and they, they get pleasure out of being involved and then sitting down and eating it, you know. Um, I think that's that's a cool cool part of it. Um, definitely, um, you know, uh, yeah, the family side of things is probably the biggest bit for me these days. Um, I enjoy a good drink. I enjoy mixing a good drink. I think um, having having it's it's a it's a whole sort of part of it is to to sit down, and enjoy a meal with a with a with a good drink. And obviously, I'm very biased at what that drink is or drinks are. Um, but uh, you know, I think the um, that's part of that enjoyable thing um, of it, and, um, and 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 conversation. You know, it's it's talking to people. I think that's part of the enjoyment of it. You know, um, you, you probably can't catch up with a group of mates and have a barbecue without one of them telling you what you're doing wrong or how you do, <laughs> how you should be changing it and doing it differently. So um, it's that banter that goes with it, which is which is cool. Um, yeah, and that's that's the enjoyable part. You know, and then it's also the being able to take a photo of it and post it and getting feedback from people, and you know, it's that that kind of you know um, cool part about it, really. Yeah, no doubt about that at all. I've got a question come through here from uh, from Chris Harthy, who's watching this uh, this live recording. What is your go to Christmas lunch item? What do you love to cook for Christmas lunch? Um, so, I mean, uh, I love I, I love a good uh, pork belly, uh, crispy pork belly, or something like that. But but my go to for Christmas lunch is um, smoked bacon potato salad. Ooh, Always got to nice. have a potato salad, you know, and you got to have good smoky bacon. You got to have good, good potatoes, and then it's the the shallots, it's the the, the uh, pickle that goes into it, and it's the um and and the um it's it's that good accompaniments. Like protein is one part, but it's having those little additional sides, which is which is awesome, you know. So um so smoked uh, yeah, uh, potato salad is, is is my go-to, but classic for me um is is a roast pork, um maybe roast chicken. Um, and then a really good glazed ham, um, and and a simple glaze glaze for the glazed ham. You know, um, pineapple juice, ginger, um, uh, and and sort of simmer it down is a, is, a, is a really good one. So um, yeah, simple, simple, simple for me for um, for Christmas. Yeah, there's not much better than a glazed ham, is there? Well, look, that's probably a really good point to, for us to uh, to start wrapping up the show. So I'm going to throw it over to you now. Give some thanks, give some praise, give some shout outs to people that have helped you out along the way, and make sure they tell everybody where where make sure you tell everybody where they can track down the NZBA on the internet. Oh, right, cool. So I mean, for me, there's there's so many people to to, to thank. Um, 
you know, I, I think from initially the the support and um, and and the, the the helpful push from the, the guys in the ABA um, really helped us set ourselves up over here initially um, as the NZBA, and then it's all our partners. You know, we have a number of partners that are supporting us, um, barbecue suppliers through to fuel suppliers through to sources and rubs. Um, they're 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 the only reason we can um, and um, do what we do is because of those partners investing in the scene and, and growing the scene. Um, I know I won't mention them all because I, I'll forget them, but um, we do have the New Zealand Barbecue Alliance group on Facebook. We are a, um, a, a community that you need to go and look up and we'll, we'll, we'll let, let you come in. Um, you know, we have some simple policies. One of those is don't be a d- that's the That's probably the main one. Um, we're, we're, we, um, you know, we, we're a friendly environment um, that do, doesn't tolerate crap, really. We try and leave politics out of barbecue and uh, we encourage a really... Um, really enjoyable scene um, to help people grow, whether or not you're just a, a weekend warrior versus a, a competitor. Um, but it's the, it's the guys who really are getting into the scene and, and growing the scene that and I've mentioned a few of the brands throughout this podcast, but um, they're the guys who are really helping us set the scene and grow the scene and the promoters. I mean, the reality is we wouldn't be able to do this without promoters. So it's those guys who are putting on the comps and putting their, their, their wallet on the line to, um, to make it work. So, um, you know, it's a huge shout out and to this whole, the whole scene. I mean, everyone in the community is awesome. They've been so supportive. So uh, that's probably enough. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, look, mate, I'm going to say thank you very much for taking time out to talk about the uh, the New Zealand barbecue scene with me this afternoon. It's been really interesting for me to be able to find out sort of what you guys are up to over there and, and just how it's been really great to hear just how strong the scene is. So thank you for taking time out to come talk to me and best of luck in the future with it all. Thank you very much, and um, absolute pleasure. And, and if anyone is think, thinking of coming to New Zealand outside of New Zealand, hit us up. We're more than happy to help you and support you when, when we're allowed to. So um, look forward to uh, chatting. And there you have it, family. There's an open invitation for you to go travel to New Zealand, and Luke will sort you out if you want to go hit up a competition. So uh, that was uh, that. That was Luke Sini from the NZBA. What an interesting story to find out how the barbecue scene and the competition barbecue scene has has developed um in a much faster rate than it has over here in australia as well which is the thing and uh i I was down at my local barbecue shop smoked barbecue co there just uh, a few weeks ago and i saw there was a bunch of new zealand products in there as well so the uh the new zealand products are not just doing well in new zealand they're doing well around the world which is fascinating to see now, before I let you go, I just want to remind you of the announcements from the top of the show. Huge shout out to Jagged Woodfine for coming on board as our podcast partner for tonight's show. Um, if you're at the beginning of your barbecue journey and you need to go head to the smokinghotconfessions.com website, pick up your free copy of the ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue. That's going to tell you everything you need to know to go from zero to hero in low and slow. Come join us in the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook and do go check out Luke's group as well, the NZBA the NZ Barbecue Alliance Facebook group. It's uh, about 47,000, I think I was looking at this afternoon, and it's a really nice group. It's a really great group. And so is our group, Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Community. Big shout, uh, big shout out to the people that have been on board with us this afternoon and popping in those comments and questions for Luke as well. We really do appreciate that. And if you are watching this later on on the socials, do the thing for us. Give us the thumbs up, the bells, the, the comments, the shares, the hearts, all that sort of stuff. All that really helps us out. And we would love you forever. So. Until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>